Welcome to this virtual service at Westchester Chapel. Thanks for listening to this message that comes directly from God's Word. To hear more, visit westchesterchapel.org and click on Media. Now grab your Bible as we dig into it together. Where I work, there's a a building that is basically a a combination of four different buildings. They were all put together uh, over about uh, 80 years, some very old, obviously, and some, some newer buildings. Um, they have hallways that point to walls that don't go anywhere, uh, staircases, they have basements, uh, it's multiple entrances, it's just, it's confusing. And uh, so you see people walk in the lobby and go through security and then sort of look around and kind of go like, where sh- can I get my appointment? Where, where, what office should I go to? And so one of my first assignments when I was at this particular job, I was asked to design a wayfinding system, a, um, a map, if you will, to guide people who um, needed to find their way to an appointment in this uh, facility. Uh, it took me weeks to do. It did make the way clearer for people, so that was a wonderful um, advantage of having this, and they would hand it out to people who came in and they would be able to find their ways, but that wasn't even enough. They needed even people at the door who they called something like the Red Coat Crew or some kind of name. But anyway, they they saw these people and these people actually walked them to the place that they were supposed to go. So it wasn't even just the map to find the way. It had to take a, a person to show them the way. It was a very complicated uh, place. So today we're looking at a story about finding the way. Not just a way, but finding the way. And so um, I wanted to show you real quickly what, so you are here and this is what that facility looked like. This is exactly the way it was. It just went everywhere. And so you can see how confusing that would be if you started here and couldn't figure out where to go. So you can remember that. Okay, so let's look at this. Open to Isaiah chapter 39, if you will. Let's take a look at our, uh, our scripture. I'll read it in just a moment. We're continuing our series on the prophet's life. And uh, we're learning lessons from the prophets and how they communicate the truth of God. Now, sometimes when we communicate the truth of God, it's to people who are headed in the wrong direction. They are going a different way. They're not going God's way. But God calls us into a situation where we're supposed to now move them, help them, find the way that is God's way. And so most of us on this call, we know the Lord's love, we know his salvation, we know that he found us, he took us from our own way, and he brought us to his way. And we know there's a difference between the two. So uh, as we've been looking at Isaiah over the last few weeks, Pastor Joyce uh, covered Isaiah and, and in, in that, te- teaching us about King, King Hezekiah and how he stood his ground, believed God for victory uh, during potentially horrible defeat for uh, the people, uh, particularly in, in Jerusalem. Uh, and then Linda uh, taught after that also on Hezekiah and we learned how to say, yes, I will. So I hope you've been repeating that all week because it's very important. Linda has made me repeat that all week. So yes, I will was an important lesson. And then in the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, just so you know, the kings of Judah and Israel were labeled either as doing good 
or being evil, doing evil in the Lord's sight. So either doing good or doing evil. So King Hezekiah was characterized as a good king. And if you were to read 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through chapter 32, you would see he was a very good king. He wasn't just a good king, he was a very good king. He was uh, destroying strongholds and he was confronting uh, the, the false worship that they were doing. He, he was very strong and very focused on the Lord and he, he did exactly what God wanted him to do. But he was not a perfect king. I love the way scripture puts this throughout scripture. There's no one who's perfect here other than Jesus and other than the Lord God, the Holy Spirit as well. So he confessed though quickly and humbled himself before God. So it, it says of him that he actually, when he passed away, he was honored by the people because of his life. So not a perfect king, but today we look at some of the issues that he uh, ran into and they got him potentially and the people into some potentially large uh, things. So let me read 39 if you'll look at that. And it says this, at the time Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, this is 39.1 in Isaiah, king of Babylon sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them the treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, even the whole armory, all that was found in the storehouses. He was very proud of all of this. There was nothing in the house nor in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. So that's an odd thing, I would say, we would probably even say, is that potential enemy has come through the gate of your, your walls, and you can imagine what would happen. I mean, we're New Yorkers, right? Somebody comes to your door, they knock on the door, uh, ring the doorbell, you say hi. They say, well, I've got a gift for you. They go, oh, well, come right in. And so, hey, while you're here, let me show you all my stuff. Here's where I hold my jewelry. Here's where all my electronics are, and here's my expensive guitars, and here, uh, we wouldn't do that movie. I mean, it would just seem impossible. But something was happening here in Hezekiah's life that we need to, to look at. He was not gullible. He was not somebody who was simple-minded and, and just deceived by these people from Babylon. He was sharp, destroyed idols, organized priests and Levites, um, he brought worship back to the temple and organized it all. He was very, very sharp, very good leader. But there was something that was an issue for him. And so he, he showed all of this treasure house. What's going on here? I mean, how could he have done this? What's, what's happening? So there's two things that we really are going to see that are happening in him a uh, number of things actually. We'll focus on a few here. The backstory is found in Second Chronicles uh, 32 and uh, we read in, in 24 to 25 that his heart was proud. This is in Chronicles, Second Chronicles 32, 24 to 25. We read that his, his uh, heart was proud and in, in 26 he humbled himself. So he, he had this way of just doing the really the bad thing, the wrong thing but humbling himself and being gentle before the Lord and broken before the Lord, contrite of heart before the Lord. The Lord loved that about him, and you see that in his story of how the Lord blessed him over and over again with various things. He says in verse 27, though, he made for himself treasuries of silver and gold and storehouses, 
cities for himself. So you get the picture? He had treasuries, he had storehouses, he had provided cities for himself. He was gathering. He was like a Old Testament hoarder, if you would, but a very, very wealthy items, very expensive. All of these things that, that the Babylonians saw were top-notch. Silver and gold, the spices, all of it, very, very valuable, including storehouses and, and uh, the armory. But what it says in Second Chronicles, same story, but has a little different piece of it. It shows you his weaknesses, and one of his weaknesses was pride. And in the matter of these envoys, it says in verse 31, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign. Now it's interesting because it doesn't mention anything about inquiring the sign in the Isaiah version, but this is said they were interested about the sign, the, the miracle that occurred to Hezekiah, that they had heard that. And then it says something very intriguing in the second part of this verse. It said, then God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. It's a wild verse, isn't it? Something I never want to hear. Jim, I'm leaving you to yourself. Imagine. God was testing him, and he was testing them to show Hezekiah who Hezekiah was. See, sometimes we need to see it. We need it. We need to understand what's going on in our hearts and our minds and who we are. So to see this pride, to see what was driving him with all these treasuries and storehouses and cities for himself, he needed to be in a position where God left him to himself. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing in Isaiah. So God was teaching Hezekiah a wonderful truth about, about God. Despite his weaknesses, despite his pride, he was also humble and teachable. So God didn't leave him forever. God left him to himself for a time so he could continue to work with him. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God does with us. He does not abandon you with sin that is, uh, appears in your life. It's confession, it's repentance. He doesn't abandon us. He continues to work with us. Wonderful picture in, in this that we see. So let's go back to Isaiah 39 and let's look at the story a little closer. Uh, after Hezekiah decided to show all that he had. In verse 2 it says this. This is back in Isaiah 39, 2. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show to the Babylonians. The idea here is it's complete. They saw everything. Isaiah wanted them to see everything that he had done, everything that he had gathered, everything that was valuable in his kingdom. And so in the middle of all of this, he had lost his way. He was again back where we were initially. He could not find his way. He did not know where he was. He could not figure out where to go. He was not following God's plan and pride had led him to show everything there, but it was really the wrong thing to do. So, in the middle of all of this, Isaiah arrives. And Isaiah was there, and, and uh, he was not invited by Hezekiah. There's other instances where Hezekiah wanted to talk to uh, Isaiah and called him in. He was the prophet. He was, he was the guy who heard from God. And so, in times of danger, Hezekiah did want Isaiah. 
he didn't call him in this time. He probably didn't want the Lord's will at this moment. He was not invited. He was sent by God. He was on a mission to communicate God's truth. So as we look at what lessons we can learn from the life of Isaiah, we can see that his first approach to Hezekiah was one of intervention. The first thing I want you to see. Intervention, they stopping the progress away from God's way. Hezekiah moved, was moving away. He was going in his own direction. So the first thing that Isaiah has to do is he has to stop this. So he shows up. And he shows up and, and uh, begins asking him questions. What's going on? He, he, Isaiah was there um, uh, to stop this wrong way from happening. And sometimes with people in our lives, we want to run right up to them, don't we? Giving them every detail of God's plan of his way. Everything they don't know about God. Every place that they're wrong. We want to just tell them. They know right out. This is just, you're just really not on God's way. In this particular case, Isaiah did not do that. He stepped there, he showed up, and he said, let me ask some questions, first of all, which caused uh, Hezekiah to start to question what he was doing. Very valuable. We're dealing with people that are obviously going in the wrong direction, and God calls us, he sends us to a situation. It's very important that we stop the progress of going the wrong direction. One of the ways to do that, we can see that Isaiah did, is he started to ask him about the detail of God's plan. You know, he, he said, well, you know, let's, let's look at this. He said these kinds of things, and it looks in, in starting in verse 3, 39.3, 3, Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say? What did the Babylonian men say? And from where did they come from? Hezekiah said, well, they, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he, oh, but wait a minute. He never answered the first question, which is what the men said. Right away, I think we see that, that Hezekiah is hiding things. He's a little uncomfortable. He doesn't want Isaiah there. They've come from a far country from Babylon. He says, but what have they seen in your house? Isaiah says. Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. Very contrite, very, very, it's a comment that is kind of like, okay, <laughs> the prophet apparently is correct here. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. That must have been hard for him to say. Isaiah had one goal, let's stop this slide away from God now. And he, there was intervention, questions that are asking Hezekiah, what's going on here? Never had anybody ask you those kinds of questions? What's going on? What, what, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Close friend, maybe someone in the Lord. Why, why, why that? I don't understand. So the focus here is a little different. So this is more the focus I want to show you with my high-tech graphic. This is it. You're here. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing out there. Isaiah had one point. He wanted to say to Hezekiah, you're right here. Let's just stop here. You're going in the wrong direction. You know, these, these signs where you are here are wonderful for malls and, and airports and zoos. And I, I've used them, I don't know, dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds of times. Linda and I will walk up to the sign and we see you are here. It's very, you feel good. 
after you've been lost, you're walking around the zoo, you cannot find the zebras or the monkeys, you just don't know what you're, you're just walking, and all of a sudden, there's a wayfinding system, there's a signage system that says you are here, and you go, oh, all right, that's good, I'm here. That's exactly what Isaiah was trying to do. He was trying to say, listen, Hezekiah, let's step back a little bit and show you where you are now. What do you think about yourself now? What's going on now? What's God calling you now to do? So we learn intervention. Stop the progress away from God's plan, away from God's way. Stop. You need to think where you're headed. This applies to us in our own lives as well. When we don't have a prophet show up, but we have the Holy Spirit show up and says, by the way, Jim, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing? It's a very good question. The prodigal son in that story, he had an intervention. You know what his intervention was? He decided he didn't want to eat what the pigs ate anymore. That's pretty strong. And he got up and said, okay, that was enough. A pig confronted me. It's time to go back to the father. And he got up and started moving on. We have those times in our lives. It doesn't have to be a person. It doesn't have to be a, uh, a prophet. If we're open to the Lord God, he knows how to reach us. I had one of these very directly, and it was very uh, troubling to me and very eye-opening to me. But at one point, I was sitting in a previous building we had in the back and near a little coffee room that we had, uh, surrounded by people who loved me, the pastoral team, who were saying to me, Jim, something's wrong. I went, yeah, what's, what's wrong? But they had to say to me, you're burnt out. You're doing too much yourself. You're not delegating things, a lesson I'm still trying to learn. And they said, you've got to do something. This is not good for you. It wasn't a prophet, although it was. But there I was, sitting in a chair with all these people surrounding me, praying for me at the end of all this, but telling me the truth I needed to hear. I think most of us would want that. Even as uncomfortable as it is, we'd rather have someone telling us the truth, setting us back on track. Because I thought I was doing what God was wanting me to do, uh, perfectly in his way. I had not left the Lord, I loved Jesus, everything, but there were things that were not healthy for me or for the church, and I needed to hear it. So I'm thankful. And so it stopped the progress of going the wrong way. That was the idea. It's what interventions do, and it was very, very powerful for me. And myself and the church took a turn at that point and ended up going in a direction of healing and for those of you who were around at that time, I took a break from ministry. It was very powerful. Pastor Joyce uh, became the senior pastor for a little while, quite a while actually, years. And all the healing that happened was unbelievable. It was all in God's hand. But it wasn't going to happen unless I heard this lesson, unless I heard this intervention. So... There might be people in our lives where we need to play that part in, and that's a hard part. And by the way, all of these things I'm talking about don't often happen at one time, you know, in a 15-minute in a session with somebody. It's sometimes over years. We now need to find this wayfinding, the right way to go to God. I, 
Isaiah said, okay, we've stopped this, and uh, we really now need to go in a different direction. So if you look at 39.4, Hezekiah had stopped and was thinking. Well, what they have seen in our house, Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in the storehouses that I did not show them. I can, knowing the other stories about him since his sadness and his knowledge that he might be going in the wrong direction. And so it starts like this, by the way. The next piece says this. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. So you have this intervention to stop the progress of the wrong way. And then you secondly say this. Hear the word of the Lord. The way, the direction to God is driven by God's truth, right? For Isaiah, it was a prophecy directly from God. For us, it could be this, but often it's just the truth from God's word that's convicting to us or that we may bring to somebody else. God's wisdom. Well, these people don't know God. They don't know this. They don't, it's just, you know, all these just words. I don't know. what. How could I do this to somebody? Uh, Jim, what am I supposed to do? They're going the wrong way. That's sort of in the Lord's hands, don't you think? He's calling you, and if he has called you, if he hasn't called you, not a good idea to follow this. If he has called you, and there's an intervention of sorts at some point that's going to stop the progress, had the person think about what they're doing, it's the conviction, repentance starts at that point. But usually the Word of God can stand on its own as powerful. We know that from, from what it is. It's not just words, is it? It's alive and it's active. It does things that we certainly couldn't do. We've all had that experience of being convicted by something that someone said in a message or someone has said to us and we're kind of like going, wow, where did that come from? That's the alive, active part that the Word is. The words with the Lord's Spirit come alive and they change things. Whether a person knows the Lord or not, they can do it. We can't limit what God wants to do with any person. So it's interesting to note, by the way, there's a proverb that most of us know about. It's in Proverbs 14, 12. And it says something very interesting that applies to this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You remember that? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's not usually on the um, pictures we put on the wall in our kitchen. No one's doing needlepoint with this on it. But it's <laughs> powerful, nevertheless. But there's a couple things I want you to see. First of all, the word seems in Proverbs 14, 12. That's not there. That was added by a translator who's, who's trying to soften <laughs> what's being said. It really reads like this. There is a way that is right before a man, but its end is the way of death. So there's a way that this person says, this is the way, this is right. It's not even a question. It seems like it may be. It's like there is a way that this person knows is right, but the end is the way of death. And the way there can be translated straight as well. It's kind of like this, this way that's like, yes, it's exactly going in the, in the right direction. I'm heading exactly, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But its end is the way of death. 
And if you ever do a study on, on the word way in Scripture, you, you're going to see unbelievable amount of things. It talks about people crying out for God to show me the way, or I will teach the way to others, or in Isaiah himself, in his book 55, 8, neither are your ways my ways. He's separating it right, right cleanly. And that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? It's God's ways. It's not human ways. It's not man's ways. One way a human thinks they're headed in the right direction, and it's just really not the right way. They compare their way. How would they know, by the way, how would we know in our own lives if this way is not the right way? How do we know, even as believers, when we feel some kind of conviction, some kind of heart heaviness about a way we're going? How do we know it sure seems like the right way? A surefire way to do it is to compare it to God's way. Just compare it to God's way. Have the courage to say, I, this, something's odd about this. <laughs> it seems right to me. And by the way, I want to do it. That, that's sometimes we might as well just add that in there. I want to do this, Lord. So I'm hoping it's your way. We compare it to God's way. In our attempt to go to some person who may be going the wrong way, we bring them the truth. We don't bring them our wisdom. We bring them the truth. That's the only thing we have really to offer. I've seen uh, instances in my own life and, and with people I've counseled and tried to help where I've brought them the truth. And what I really want to do is go, gosh, you know, the Lord loves you a lot. And, and I know you need to know that. And, and also, it's not as big a deal as you think it is. You know, it's, it's, it, the Lord's going to work it out, you know. And I'm, I, and I'm just saying all these things. And I've seen in other instances where the Lord knows the same situation. And he says, they should just change. All right. <laughs> Why are you softening what I'm saying, Jim? That's sometimes what happens. I kind of want out of my own human wisdom and compassion to make it easier for them. Where we'll get a word somehow from a, a prophet in a congregation that says, they should do this, they should do this, they should do this. Do they still love, does he still love them? Of course he does. But he's saying, here's the truth. Boom, boom, boom. Sometimes we just need the truth. But we want to be coddled often, or we want to coddle other people often <laughs> and soften the blow. Well, prophets didn't usually soften the blow. That's, that's just a free lesson from the prophets that we'll give you there, you can add. They didn't usually soften the blow. So we've learned that we lovingly often have to intervene to stop the process. Just, we just step in and we go, are you sure you want to go this way? Maybe asking ourselves, am I sure I want to go this way? Next, they, they need a new way. They do not need your wisdom as smart as all of you are. They don't need my wisdom. They don't need a pastor's wisdom. They need God's wisdom. So the more you know the word, the more wisdom you have to offer to somebody in those situations. And when you don't have it on the tip of your tongue, you say to somebody, God has an answer. Let me find it and I'll get back to you. You don't say, uh, let me make something up here that might work. Go get them the truth where you know the truth is found. I mean, you guys have enormous respect for the word of God. That's where the truth is found.
So we make this this intervention. Are you sure you want to go this way? Then we when we offer them not human wisdom, but God's wisdom, the truth, only the truth. And this is what Isaiah did in uh, 39, 5 to 6. It says this, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that your fathers have stored up till this day. Now, this is interesting, isn't it, that God is saying this? You see, after he just showed everybody everything he had and that he had stored up in his homes and his his storehouses, God says, oh, by the way, all of that's going away. <laughs> so you put a lot of importance on that. It's not going to be here. It's, it's going. The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take it. It shall be carried away to Babylon. But wait, you have to wait a minute because Isaiah would never have known if it hadn't been for, for godly wisdom that Babylon was going to take it away. They were not anywhere near a power. Assyria was the power. The Assyrians were the ones who were controlling the Middle East. They were the power. They were taking over lands. Babylon wasn't, not at that point. Assyria was defeated. In fact, a big part of it was what happened when Isaiah prayed and an angel came and took out thousands of the Assyrian army. The guy went back home to Assyria and he was killed by his sons. And it wasn't long after that where Babylon came and started to ravage all of the areas. They became powerful more and more. It took a long time, it took years and years and years, but they became very, very powerful. There's no way Isaiah could have known that because Assyria was the power, but apparently he's speaking from the Lord here, which is our lesson. It's God's wisdom. But then he goes on and he says, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. It's all gonna be taken away. And some of your own sons who will come from you. Wait a minute. He had no sons. <laughs> Hezekiah had no children. But apparently God knew he was going to have children. And Isaiah is repeating what God is saying to him. Again, truth that there's no possible way Isaiah would have known. They'll be taken away. There shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Wow. Okay, so this is interesting to us because... What we want is to bring the knowledge to people who are going the wrong way. We want to bring the knowledge to them that we do not have. We don't have this truth. We don't know the nuances of what that person needs. Can God give you what you should say at the time you need it? He definitely can. Can he bring the word of God to life so that you can repeat this or point them to scripture that says, Here's the right way to go. Don't just give people wisdom. Your experience is great, and it may lead to some kind of wisdom that God has shown you. That's great. But it may be that they really need God's unfathomable knowledge that we don't have, but that the Lord is happy to share. Certainly Isaiah was receiving all of that, and, and you just need to see the end of all of this is Hezekiah, once again, he humbles himself in the middle of all this. He realizes what the issue is, and he says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. And he can't even comprehend that he's going to have children at this point. So he says, oh, but there will be peace and security in my days. That's a blessing to Hezekiah, by the way. 
because that is true. That is what happened. In his days, he did not see any more war. But it wasn't long after he had died that Babylon did rise up and come and take them because of their, uh, the people had really left God completely and the Lord had no choice but to come and take them into exile. And Babylon did that. But at this point, Hezekiah is saying, it's good. There will be peace and security in my days. So we have this intervention and then we have these, all of this, this wonderful wisdom from God. And so one thing the prophets teach us is to communicate you know, God's uh, truth. And by the way, here's what they're teaching us. This is my high-tech thing. Well, this, this is what this is. You're here, go that direction. <laughs> Don't say, you're here. I've got 12 ideas for you of what you should do. You need to say, you're here. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you're here and you've stopped and you've listened to me. And this is very, very good as you're talking to somebody or maybe for you, you're here. You're thinking about what's being said. Now go God's way. Stop trying to do the other one. Give them the one way. This is God's way. Please go in his direction. This is the way. But there's one last thing I'll tell you as we, as we close. We have this intervention to stop the progress. We have God's wisdom that people need, not ours. But the last thing is in Isaiah 40, it says this. Comfort, comfort. This is right after he told them Babylon was coming to get them, by the way. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem after Babylon is, I don't, you know, this is comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her and her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We know what that's from. John the Baptist, right? Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So the third thing you need to do, you need to know, is that right after this, Isaiah can help but write down God's tender, loving care for his people. The Lord, I think, hates having to send things like the exile to his people, but it was the only thing that would bring them back to a relationship with him, which is the desire of his heart for all of us. Often hard times bring us to that point. He'll do about anything in our lives to draw us back to a close relationship with him. Sometimes that's the message he's sending is the struggle we're going through. He longs to be with you, longs to have you be with him. You are the one he wants to be with. Well, there's a lot of other, you know, there's all these wonderful, these, you know, you have 27 pastors at your church. Probably God wants to be with them more. Well, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> I can tell you that's not true. He loves you. And this is what Isaiah had to put in here, <laughs> this, the next chapter. 
It's so important that in the middle of all of this, that we've stopped the progress of the wrong way by, by making this place really where we can say to the person, please stop and question what you're doing. So we're stopping the progress. Then we're, we're telling God's story, but it's God's story that is his truth, right? We're stopping the progress. We're telling God's story because the story is the truth they need to hear, not ours. It's the truth they need to hear is God's truth. And then the third thing was to speak comfort and hope. If there's anything people need who are ready to hear about God and they've been softened and they now are ready, they need to hear the comfort and hope as well as the truth that may be hard. Often the hope, the grace, the tenderness, the hope in the future that is in God is just always better than following the way of the world. And that's his point. That's Isaiah's point. Is Hezekiah, please don't go your own way. And so our lesson today is to stop this progress of going the wrong way. Telling people the story of his truth and speaking the comfort and hope that God wants for every single person, you and me included. So Father, uh, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness, your graciousness to us. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we uh, ask now, Lord, that you would do um, what we've talked about here. And Father, as, as those that you see are ready for this, Lord, um, we would ask that you would uh, bring us to a place of intervention. If there's something in our lives, if the way we're living is not right, if the way we're living is not right to you. It's not your way. Lord, we want to be shown. We want to know. And if we already know this, Lord, we need your hand, your help, your discipline, your power, your strength to turn away from it. And Lord, we ask for that now. We want this intervention if you want us to have it and we're ready to have it. And Father, uh, we want your wisdom about going your way. Uh, Lord, if we have somehow gone our own way and either just a small portion of our life one way or another, if pride is, is seeping into to us somehow or in some way um, we're uh, just doing the things we want to do without considering you, Lord, we want your wisdom. Bring us your word. Bring us your scripture. Uh, Lord, convict us. It's a very, very dangerous prayer. Lord, convict me of my sin, of going my way, because I really want to go your way. That's the desire of my heart. I don't know how I got into this mess over here, but I want to change it now. Lord, convict me. I want your truth. I want to go in your way. And Father, I ask also that in the middle of all of this and at the end of all of this, as I repent and I, I head in your direction, Lord, I want again to know the promises of your hope and your grace. I want to know again how you speak tenderly to your people and how, Lord, as in Isaiah 40 it says, Father, we want the hope. We want to know the reality that Jesus came, that his way was prepared, and the King came to earth to die on a cross for our sins. Father, we are thankful that that is truly our hope that it's all found in the Lord Jesus. We want to know that again if we've lost it by going our own way. Lord, show us again the tenderness 
that our iniquity is pardoned. And Lord, we give you all glory and honor as you work in our lives. We once again abandon ourselves that, Lord, you would be glorified in all that we do and say, how we live, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, in my uh, experience uh, going the wrong uh, way for uh, a time and then the intervention that I told you about, um, I discovered that um, the Lord is much more interested in my closeness to Him, my seeking of His face, His presence, than He is of all the things that I can do for Him. And I had to ask myself, if everything I have that I think I'm doing for God will be laid down in this instant right now, and I said, I'm never going to do that anymore. I'm not going to use that talent. I'm not going to use this piece. I'm not going to use my mind the same way. What would I have? If I'm not left with Him, it's just not worth it. And the Holy Spirit at one point convicted me and said, will you just stop trying to outwork God? Will you just stop? So, Father, um, we come before you, and we're, we're so thankful, Lord, that you guide us and lead us. And, Lord, I'm thankful for the lessons you taught. I'm sure everyone on here is thankful for the lessons that you teach us. So, Lord, my prayer for us is that you would not stop teaching. You would not stop giving us revelation that you just want our heart. You want to be close to us. You want to bless us. You're not mad at us all the time. You love us. And Lord, it's my desire for uh, Westchester Chapel that we would just more and more grasp the importance of just being in your presence because it's out of that that comes the ministry that makes a difference. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And we pray this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. After hearing the message today, if you'd like to start a relationship with Jesus or rededicate your life to him, why not do it now? Pray with me right where you are. Lord Jesus, I turn from going my own way, and I choose to follow you. Forgive me for my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross to cover them and rising again from the dead. I choose now to live for you, and I receive your life into mine. Amen. If you prayed with us, get in touch through our contact page at westchesterchapel.org. There you can find more information on how to grow in your faith and where we meet. We'd love to have you join us.